Well, good morning, Riverside. So glad to be here together again today. I know it's, uh, man, it's a joy when we get to come together and worship every week. And, uh, you know, if it's your first time here, I want to just say again, I want to extend my welcome and tell you thank you for, for being here. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about this idea of what does it mean as a people of God, the people of Jesus, followers of Jesus, uh, to live in a time where there's just quite honestly a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety in the world around us. What does it mean to choose faith over fear? And what does it mean for us to choose to believe what we say we believe? And today we're going to take, take one more look at, at this whole idea. I don't know about you. Maybe there's like a written handbook out there uh, for moms. I don't know if your mom was like my mom. But I feel like my mom always said the same thing. It didn't matter if I was, you know, a kid jumping off the couch, you know, from, from one place to, the, to like the ottoman. You know, this was a, a game as a kid. You couldn't touch the floor because they were like alligators or whatever. Uh, or, you know, maybe when, when you go out the, into the backyard and you're jumping into the pool, uh, you know, off the diving board or maybe off the top of the house. Not that I ever did that. Um, you know, as a kid, you do all kind of crazy things. It's the first time you get behind the steering wheel and you get ready to go somewhere. Uh, or, you know, the first time, you know, you're, you're going over to a friend's house to spend the night or you're going over to do, uh, you know, to, to do different things with different friends. Moms always say the same thing. They say what? Be safe. Yeah. Be careful. Be safe out there. Be careful. There's this idea that, that no matter what happens, just, just be careful. Whatever happens, be safe. You know, I want you to, to come home in one piece. I don't want anything bad to happen to you. And, and, it, and it's kind of dawned on me as this series has kind of gone along that we live in a world, don't we, that's really, really consumed with safety and this idea of safety. In fact, you flip on your radio, you turn on your TV, like every commercial, every radio spot, everything is an ad. All the marketing is done towards our fear. You know, if you just had this product, you know, you would be safe. Your kids would be safe. Your stuff would be safe. Uh, it, would, it would work out better for you. We would take care of, we would take this fear and this anxiety that you have on this issue or this thing away. If you just bought this, it would make everything better. And so we have all of our marketing is targeting our fears so that if we get whatever they're selling, we'll feel more safe. And I just want when did that happen? Like, like, when did we become so enamored with safety? I don't know about you. This was probably towards the, the, you know, the beginning of my childhood, you know, the end of this era where, you know, when you got in the car to go somewhere as a kid, well, there weren't car seats. You climbed like in the back dash where the window was, right? You know, and you're flying down the interstate. If you had a wreck, your life would be over, but no one thought twice about it. You know, you'd get in the back of the pickup, in the pickup, you know, truck. And, you know, you know Grandpa Jones is flying around the corner and you're just hanging on for your life. And people thought it was funny, you know? It wasn't about, you know, being safe. It was just kind of what you did. When we got ready for a road trip, we would take the seats out of the back of the minivan and my sister and I would put a mattress in the back, right? <laughs> and then we, you know, get all of our stuff in our Walkmans because that's what we had back there. They played these tapes. I'll explain it later. And, uh, you know, we're ready for the road trip, you know, bouncing around back there in the back of the minivan. It was just what we did. No one was thinking about how unsafe that might be now. You know, nowadays you have these car seats with a six-point harness, you know, you put on. And, you know, some of the older generation I've heard complains about uh, us younger parents giving their kids screens. You know, we didn't have those back in our day. Well, you weren't strapped down for hours on end by a six-point contraption here. You know, you're bored to death. There's nothing to do. You can't even move. You can hardly breathe. I remember when um, our first son was about to be born. Um, the hospital where we were gonna gonna have uh, have have Will um, had this incredible service. It was free, 
And I wish every hospital did this. Maybe they do. I don't know. But this hospital, they had this service where these two guys uh, down in like the parking garage had a, had a, had a section you could, you could go to anytime. And they would install your car seats for you for free. And like as a first-time parent, that was awesome because I had no idea like how this, 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 this plastic, you know, base, car base went into the car seat and how you, you lace the, you know, the seat bolts through it to lock it down and cinch it down to where it's unmovable and completely safe. You know, I couldn't figure it out. So at the time, uh, my wife had this incredibly safe, reliable, you know, um, affordable, really, you know, really smart. It was a Toyota Camry, you know. I drove it in. I get to get there, and sure enough, they come out. I've got the car seat, and they're using pool noodles and all kind of different things to strap this thing down and make it safe. It looks fantastic. I'm like, great. Thank you, guys. I'll be back in a little bit with, with my car. So I pull up into my car, and no lie, like the head guy, the chief, like, professional car and seat installer person, like, starts, like, yelling at me, like giving me a lecture. Like, what? What, what are you doing? You, you want us to install a car seat? And that I had no, I couldn't fathom why there was any problem with installing a car seat for my son so I could transport my kid around town in a two-door Jeep Wrangler with the top down. I mean, it seemed completely logical to me. <laughs> and he starts giving me a lecture about how unsafe these things are and how you can't even, you're not supposed to travel over like, you know, 45 miles an hour in the interstate because they're tough, I don't know, whatever. And I'm like, dude, I just want to get my kid from like my house to my parents' house, which is like, you know, two minutes away. He's like, all right, if that's promise, if you promise that's all you're going to do, then I'll put this car seat down. I'm like, I promise. I personally thought it was awesome that my newborn's back there with the wind blowing through what hair he had, you know. Uh, yeah, not the best decision. I'm not a great father. You've probably figured that out by now. Yeah, so, but we live in this world, don't we? Where we're consumed with safety. And what, what I find really interesting is that even when it comes to, like, our Christianity and our faith, what I think happens so often is that we forfeit our faith for security, we compromise our faith for safety. And I don't know at what point we got so enamored with safety as believers in Jesus and followers of Jesus that we're willing to so quickly compromise our convictions for the illusion of security and safety. And all throughout this series, we've been, we've been looking at some of these men and women of God who lived you know, a few thousand years ago. And who did incredible things for God. And there's a theme in every story that I don't know that we've ever talked about. And it's how incredibly afraid they must have been in the moment. And today I want to talk about this guy named Daniel. And if you, at any point in your life, went to VBS, you've heard this story. But I want you to lean in this morning because I want you to really think about what was going on. Daniel was this guy who, who, was, who was brought into to Babylon in captivity. Again, he and his people are, are under oppression, which is a common theme in these stories. But Daniel was brought in with some other young men into the king's court, and pretty quickly he began to, to rise in the administration. And at this point in the story, uh, Daniel is about to be made like one of the chief, top three guys, maybe the top guy in the entire kingdom because of the way that God has talented him and gifted him and used him in the situation. Even though he was brought in as a slave, he's risen to the, almost the very top of the ladder. And he's serving this king by the name of King Darius. Well, what happened was that the other administrators in the kingdom, in the, king, in the king's court, got really, really annoyed and really jealous. 
that Daniel has risen to the top so quickly and that he's doing so well. And they're trying to, to figure out a way to get rid of him because uh, not only were they upset about how well he was doing and how good of a job he did and the fact that they, look, that they looked bad in comparison to him, but this guy was in, in, in exile. He was a, a, a slave. And here he is rising above us. And so they did what people do when they feel threatened and entitled. Right? Maybe you know how that feels. They did what people do when they feel threatened and entitled. That They tried to concoct a plan to just get rid of them. To just get rid of them. But they knew they would never be able to do it based on his job performance because he did such a great job. And so they decided to attack something different. They decided, they decided to attack his faith. And that's why this story may be one of the most important stories we're going to look at. Because here we have Daniel's faith being put to the test. And there's something that I don't know. At least for me, I'd be really afraid. Uh, in, in your Bible, if you have it, if you want to turn it on on your device, we're going to look at Daniel 6. Daniel 6. And in verse 6, this is what we read. So the administrators and the high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement with uh, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now your majesty issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So So King Darius signed the law. Listen to this. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, I think that's really interesting. When he... It almost gives you this impression that he already knew this plan was being hatched. He knew that this law was a possibility. And when he learned that it had actually been signed, he went home. He knelt down, as usual, in his upstairs room. And with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Listen to verse 11. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house. And here's what they found. They found him praying and asking God for help. They found him praying and asking God for help. I don't know about you, but I think about times in my life where I might have been in kind of a similar situation. I think about Daniel and what he's going through right here. And you know, if if I was like Daniel's personal coach or, or mentor, you know what I probably would have said? Hey, bud, you just keep praying, but... Do it quietly. <laughs> no one has to see you doing it, you know? I know you always go to your room and you kneel down, you open your windows. You don't make a big deal. It's not a spectacle. You're not trying to, to say anything. You're just doing what you do because of what you believe, and that's all well and good. But maybe for the next 30 days or so, while this law is hanging around, maybe just, just pray quietly to yourself. There's no reason to do what you've done. God knows your heart. Do you think God wants you to die? God doesn't want you to die. So, so just do this instead. It'll still be spiritual. It'll still be, it's just you and your relationship with Jesus or God at this point. You know, it's going to be okay. So just do that. Find a way around it. It's not what Daniel did. It's not what Daniel did. I would have been tempted to compromise my convictions because of my fear. Because the price was steep. What was going to happen if Daniel kept doing what he did? Well, here's what's going to happen. We're going to take you. This sounds pretty extreme. We're going to take you. We're going to throw you into a den of hungry lions. Basically, your life is over. And it's going to be a pretty torturous as it ends. 
if you keep on praying the way you've always prayed. I don't know about you, but I just try to put myself in Daniel's shoes and think about this. How afraid would I have been on day one of that law to go back up to that room, to open those windows, and to pray three times a day like I'd always done? What was Daniel praying? We know what he was praying. He was praying for God's help. He was praying for God's help. How about you? Here's the question I want to ask you, and and, and this is a hard question, and so I hesitate to ask it, but I, I feel like I need to ask it. Have you ever, or would you ever, or have you become so consumed with safety that you've almost become unchristian? Think about that. Have you been, become so consumed with safety and security that you have or you would compromise your convictions, compromise your faith? Maybe, maybe there's this deal where if you, if you and you say it's just going to happen this one time. That's what we always do. This is the way we rationalize it. Just this once I'm going to do this so that this deal can go through so that I can get the promotion that I would like because it's going to be more money for my family, more money I can get to church. It's going to mean so many good things if I just did it this one time. So I'm going to do this this one time. Or, or I know for, for our kids, for our teenagers, it's, you know, just this one time I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this so that I can impress these group of friends so I can be accepted and I can, I can be a part of that group and I can be liked. And then I can do so much good because of that. And so many times we make deals with God or deals with ourselves that, that we'll just compromise something that we believe just one time. What, we're afraid. It's fear. And that fear drives us compromise our faith. You know, I think about this, just this, this truth, this reality. This isn't necessarily in the Bible, but I think it, it, it bears true. That we value most the very thing that cost us the most, right? I mem- uh, you remember being a kid and the first time you had to buy something with your own money? And how much you, you just valued that thing, whatever it was. It could be something completely insignificant. I think about when Alicia and I bought our first home. You know, we're young, married. We've been saving for years. We finally get to purchase a home, and we're so proud because it costs. We never spent that much money on anything. Now we have a house. We're so proud of it. You know, we love to plant flowers in the flower bed. We love to have people over. We, you know, I love to do yard work because it's just I'm proud of this thing. You know, we're, we're taking care of it. That thing that costs us the most is what we value the most. How valuable just answer this question for me in your own heart. How valuable is your faith? I'd be willing to bet the value of your faith has to do with the, the very amount it's cost you to this point in your life. Think about, think about friends of mine. This one guy and his wife and his family gave up a six-figure salary had an incredible degree from incredible universities, gave it all up to literally go live on rice and beans in a third world country where he could serve people in the name of Jesus. Think about this kid that was in my youth group a few years ago who was in high school. He was a quarterback. He was good, really good. But he was unwilling to compromise his faith as a high school guy quarterback. And everybody on the team knew it. And if you asked him, he would tell you it wasn't easy 
to say no to those opportunities and those things, what his friends wanted him to do, but he did it anyway. And then he would tell you he had never had more respect because he did that. Think about another friend of mine who, who went to and played football at, at an incredible university, incredible football team, went on to the NFL, played in the NFL. And he would tell me stories. He'd be like, Corey, I was, it was hard, but I was the one guy that all the guys would call when they got in trouble or they couldn't drive themselves home because they knew, they knew I was a person of faith. And they knew they could always call me. And that same guy today travels the world putting on football clinics, telling, he does that to tell people about Jesus and he's seeing people be saved every day. Think about this, this girl who after college, she, she graduated, did extremely well, could have gone right into working and making you know, real money in the real world, but instead she'd been saving and asking people for help and she spent a year a year traveling the world, 11 countries in 11 months on a mission trip, telling people literally around the world in 11 different countries about the gospel. I think about people that I know, like, like modern-day, real-life people, and they aren't glamorous, they aren't spiritual giants, but they were willing to, to give up something. They were willing to risk something. They, they weren't willing to compromise anything, but they were willing to, 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 to pay a cost. There, there is... We say this and we read the book, but I don't know if we live it out. There is a cost for discipleship. You know? And the people, if, if, if you're like me, the people I look up to the most are the people that have paid the highest price for what they believe. And I can't even imagine, can you just imagine being in Daniel's shoes? I mean, like he, he walks up to the edge of this lion's den. And I guarantee you, this wasn't the first time he had been to this place. He, he knew that it existed. He'd probably been there before. He knew what it looked like. He knew what it smelled like. He had heard the screams of people who'd been thrown in that place before. He'd heard the lions roar. And now he's standing here on the edge of this pit. And he's about to face the reality that he could have probably chosen another way around this situation, but he didn't. He didn't. He could have put his faith in the king of Persia, who was a friend, by the way, who didn't want this to happen, but who couldn't even undo the thing he did, so this was going to have to happen whether he wanted it to or not. But David didn't put his faith in the king of Persia. He put his faith in the king of kings. He could have put his faith in the political system that he had been a part of to find some way to wiggle out of this thing, but there was no way to wiggle out of it. And so he didn't put his faith in the political system. He put his faith in the economy of God. And he comes up to the edge of this lion's den. And you probably know the story, but listen to it again in verse 16. So at last the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. You can just tell the king is like, there's no hope. But if there's any hope, man, I, man I'm hope. I'm pulling for you, Daniel. May your God do with the unbelievable. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. There's no escape. 
The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. No hope. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. And very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den, hoping against hope against hope. And when he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you served so faithfully able to rescue from the lions? And at this point in your Bible, I think these next two words, if you underline, if you circle, if you highlight, if you've got your device, you want to you drag your finger and highlight these two words. I think these may be the, the two most profound words in Scripture to this point because verse 21, the first two words are this. Daniel answered. <laughs> what? It sounds like the king had a worse night than Daniel. The king spent all night praying and fasting and refusing his normal stuff, worrying sick, didn't sleep a wink because of Daniel. He comes running in the next morning and he cries out, Daniel, Daniel, are you alive? Verse 21, Daniel answered. Unbelievable. Long live the king. My God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I've been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. And not a scratch was found in him, for he had trusted in God. Wow. I think sometimes we lose the shock in all the story because it's so familiar. But can you imagine how the king felt? Can you imagine how those administrators felt that had this whole plot the whole time? <laughs> if you finish the story, things did not go well for those guys. They end up in that same place, and they didn't make it through the night. What's amazing about the story is what happens next. Because this king of Persia, who didn't believe in God, saw what happened when Daniel did believe in God. And listen, listen to what verse 26 says. King Darius said, I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And if you don't hear me say anything else this morning, I want you to hear this and write this down. When we who believe in God demonstrate the faith we have in God, especially in times when it might cost us something significant, even those who have never known God will give God praise. Have you ever thought about this? That when those of us who believe in God put our faith in God, And the people around us who don't even know God see us put our faith in God, especially when it's going to cost us something significant. When they see God come through for us, and they praise God. And what I want to challenge you with today is just a simple idea. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever fear you're up against right now, whatever it is that you're thinking about compromising in the moment to make things easier, to make things better, put your faith in God. And allow God to prove his faithfulness to you. Because he does it over and over again throughout the stories of scriptures and the stories of our lives. Whenever you put your faith in God, he will prove his faithfulness to you. Just give him a chance. Give him a chance. I know you're scared. I know you're concerned. But put your faith in God and allow him to prove his faithfulness to you. You see, what happens is what we, we become... 
We become afraid because we fear if we put our faith in God that we're going to lose something. And so we decide to work our way around it by our own power so that we don't have to suffer that loss. That's what we're really afraid of. We're afraid of loss. Maybe we're afraid of losing the job or, or losing those friends. Or maybe, maybe, quite honestly, we're afraid of losing our life. And fear can cause us, can cause us to compromise our convictions and forfeit our faith because of the fear of loss that we have. I mean, if we're just really honest, that's what's going on right now in our world. We haven't said a lot about this. We haven't had to. The reason so many people are so afraid right now and so worried about the election and the upcoming political mess we're in right now is we're, we're, we're afraid. We're afraid of loss. We're afraid that things aren't going to be the way that they've been for us. And that fear causes something to rise up in us. That's the reason, if, if we can just be really honest... And this morning, we, we talked about it during class time. Some of you, it's your first time here. You don't even know this is going on. But as a church, we've been talking about what it means for us, for, for, for those of us in this church, especially for our ladies who have been gifted by God to use their gifts in such a way, in ministry and in worship, that would benefit this church and bring glory to God. For a lot of us, it's a really hard conversation. What we're afraid of on one level is loss. We're afraid that things aren't going to be the way that they've been. They're going to be different than the way we were raised or how we always thought. And, and the fear of that loss is what scares us. For some of us, we really are today. We're afraid for our lives. Maybe, maybe because of some sickness. Maybe the lion's in that we're on the edge of is, is some looming sickness or disease that's over our lives or over someone that we love. Or, or we're afraid of dying. Maybe, we're, maybe we're, we're young and someone our age just passed away that we knew. Or maybe we're at the end of of our time and we know it's coming it's around the corner and we're we're worried about death and what it is it, we're afraid of that loss and that fear for whatever reason it shakes our faith for some people it makes them lose their faith for a lot of people it makes us compromise our faith and what I want to ask you to do today is whatever fear you're facing whatever it is you're up against in your personal life in the world around you in this church and whatever Man, let's take a page out of Daniel's story. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in God. And allow God to prove his faithfulness to you. Because God is faithful. He's always been faithful. And we can put our faith in him and in his son. If you would stand with me, church. Here's what I think about. I know we live in a world consumed with safety, but what if we belonged to a church that was full of faith? What would that be like? Can you catch a vision for that? What would it be like to belong to a church that was full of faith, where we laid down our fears, and whatever it is God was laying on our hearts, we went for it because we believed in him. You know, I, I love that in one of Paul's letters, he wrote this line. He said, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has defeated death. And what he reveals there is that there is a truth for you and I, for us men and women of God, that because of Jesus, I mean, think about this. Daniel, all he had was God. All he knew was God. We know his son. 
And we know his son died and rose again. Daniel didn't fear death, and maybe he should have. We face the fear of death, and we have nothing to fear. Because we know how this story ends. So whatever fear it is you're facing, man, let me encourage you. Put your faith in God. And allow God to prove himself faithful to you. We're going to sing this song. I'm going to ask our elders. They know, they know many of you are struggling with different things. And they're going to be coming around, some of you, and praying with you. If you have a need this morning and you want one of them to pray with you, just go up to them in that circle and put your hand on their shoulder and they'll, they'll, they'll just pray for you as well. Let's be a people of faith, but let's also be a people of prayer. And let's put our faith where it belongs, in Christ, in Jesus Christ. Let's sing.